Welcome to the In Common Podcast. This is Hatley Post. This insight episode comes from full episode 83 with Daniel DeCaro. Daniel is an associate professor at the University of Louisville with a joint appointment in the Department of Urban and Public Affairs in the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences. Here, Daniel speaks with Michael about the basics of self-determination theory and what he would add to the theory to expand the definition. This is the In Common Podcast. So in, in the DC and Ryan framing, they talk about these three basic needs. And one of them feels like it's kind of first among equals because it's called autonomy. Yeah. And we've talked a little bit about that today already, mostly through the point that you made that, you know, to be autonomous, it, it, it really, is, it depends on your perception of the situation. And to me, that relates to this, um, other distinction between intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation that has gotten a fair amount of uh, play in like the last five, 10 years in the environmental and common sectors yeah. is concerned about motivational crowding that intrinsic motivation is something I do on my own. I don't need someone to tell me to do it. And extrinsic is the domain of traditional policy analysis when we think about taxes and subsidies. More recently, right now, we're worried that um, in, uh, in an an extrinsic motivation can crowd out intrinsic motivation. So if someone's paying me to do something then I don't want to do it for its, that crowds out my inherent desire to do it. And there's the same kind of anecdotal evidence gets trotted out like the Israeli uh, childcare program. Yeah, yeah. So all that relates to autonomy in the sense that if I have internalized, so the, the way something goes from intrinsic to intrinsic I'm realizing it's harder than I thought to say these words in in sequence is through this process of norm internalization, which we all do all the time. You can't be a functional adult in the world if you don't internalize norms around you because people are going to think you're weird all the time and you won't fit in. Yeah. And so there's this whole interesting literature led by also people like Sam Bowles who are talking about how we need to reorient yeah. policy analysis to, to take seriously the idea that policy shouldn't just be about extrinsic motivations it should be about how to get people to internalize the right norms yeah okay so so that's a lot but then there's these other two basic Mm -hmm. needs daniel that they talk about which you mentioned there's relatedness and competence Mm -hmm. and so i'd love to hear your thoughts about those as well because you also talk in, in in some of your work i have the perception that you also for you there's not just these three basic needs that are relevant for um studies of participation so yeah. could you talk a bit about how you view uh, basic needs what are the, and, and the relationships with each other and which ones for you are the, really the most important? Okay, yeah, great. That's an interesting question. Yeah, so this is where I'm a little bit different than self-determination theory. Well, first I'll say, here's what a basic need is or fundamental need, which I do derive from self-determination theory and some other areas in social psychology. In order for it to count as a fundamental need, it has to be universal which means all humans have this need, it can be satisfied and manifest in different ways in different cultures, but fundamentally they still have this need for, like for example, self-determination, which is the newer term that people use instead of autonomy, because autonomy connotes like a Western operationalization of self-determination, okay. whereas uh, you know, self-determination in a more collectivistic context could be uh, relative autonomy or relative self-determination. So we have self-determination, our group. 
a self-determination. Uh, or I have self-determination through this leader who I endorse. But anyway, so it has to be universal. It has to apply to all aspects of human cognition. Um, and what that means is that it's, it's the starting point or starting motivation for pretty much everything people think and do. Now, they might not always be aware of it, and there are interesting ways you can show whether or not they're operating in alignment with these needs or not, but that's one of the parameters. Um, and uh, that, and that it's essential for optimal human function. And so there's been studies before showing that, you know, if you're in a very impoverished need environment, you're not getting self-determination, you're not feeling competent, you don't feel like you belong. I mean, just think about that. That's a horrible situation to live in. It decreases your lifespan. It makes you depressed. You start to act in unhealthy ways. Okay, so it has to meet those three criteria. Once it meets those three criteria, it can become a fundamental need. Now, this is where I differ from self-determination theory. More recently, they've started adopting my perspective, um, but they used to identify three fundamental needs, self-determination, competence, and belonging. I add to that list security, I got that from uh, rational choice theory, Hobbes's work especially, and Lynn's work on the concept of credible commitment and credible threat. Uh, because what you see in a lot of these situations, people want to optimize their sense of predictability and safety and assurance. Um, and then I add to that equity needs. Self-determination theory didn't have that in there. So procedural justice is a form of equity. So. I'm getting fair, equitable treatment in the decision-making process in this organization or this governance system, but also outcome, outcome equity, so distributive justice. I'm getting fair allocation of outcomes. That's been more recently acknowledged very strongly in behavioral economics and traditional economic theory. And so if you wanted to get my take on rational choice theory historically, if I translate it back into... Um, what they're saying about fundamental needs, if I map what they're saying onto that, then what I would say is they have traditionally focused on a very narrow definition of self-determination, which means I get what I want for my benefit, uh, a very narrow sense of security. I feel secure or whoever's in my in-group feels secure um, and economic welfare. So uh, I get these instrumental economic outcomes that I need, which, which are important. What I would say is I broaden that and say, yes, I think what they're describing there is a worst case scenario. When humans are in unfavorable governance conditions and they're not getting their broad needs met, they will become very self-interested in the way that rational choice theory describes. But there's two sides of this coins. We're very complex human beings. I bring in these other needs and a broader definition of self-determination, for example, to say, you know, ideally, what people seem to actually be trying to optimize is a broader sense of self-determination, of being able to do things that align with their self-interest and their beliefs, but not necessarily having to have total control all the time or have it exactly the way they want. They want procedures to be fair. Ideally, in some cases, they care about egalitarianism and they want the procedures to be fair for everybody. Um, in terms of competence, it's this basic statement that and I think this is a critically important aspect to the narrative uh, of rational choice theory that's lacking, which is competence is basically your drive to solve important problems that are disrupting your life across the board. That becomes extremely important motivator because from the rational choice theory perspective, the idea is that you're driven by pure, 
very narrow self-determination, security, and economic welfare, which will cause you to dig in and strategize against other people to get these very narrow wins. And yes, we see that occur, but over time, that's usually not enough to really solve these complex problems. And what brings people to the, the table to begin to try to solve these in a broader sense is concerns for competence. I don't, they can recognize they're not really solving the problem well and concerns for equity. Okay, this isn't fair to me. This isn't necessarily fair to other people. So what I'm getting at here is people will settle for the narrow rational choice pathway, but ultimately it seems they're striving for something bigger. And if, if you put them in the right context, those needs will jointly lead them competence to try to solve the problem, the social side of it, the ecological side of it. Equity, let's try to make it a, a good solution for everybody to the extent that we can. Procedural justice constrains your self-interest and says, well, if you think about it, I can't be fully self-interested all the time because that would be unfair. And if they did that to me, it would be unfair to me to get through these cycles. Now, an important caveat to all of this is it depends on that person and that context, their sort of where they are in their maturity in terms of governance maturity. So they won't always optimize these things. Sometimes they'll go for the narrow and they'll think that's the best they can get and they'll become very self-interested, et cetera. But if you can show them another way, what I'm sort of saying is, and what humanistic rational choice theory is saying is you can show them another way. If you can give them some very important opportunities, you can often rely on those needs to help kick in and they can start to learn a better way of relating to one another. And I think that's what you see in Lynn's cases, these well-governed uh, resource dilemmas a process initiates that lets them start to satisfy more and more of these needs. They start to build trust. They start to refine their approach over many, many cultural evolutions until they end up with a process that does a much better job of satisfying more needs. So in terms of priorities, I've been giving a lot of thought to this. Um, and my thinking has changed very recently on this. Um, so when I first started thinking about the design principles, Lynn at the time had explicitly said, there is no priority among these principles. They're all, they're all important. I've started to rethink that. And I'm starting to think that um, all the needs are important, but in terms of design principles to satisfy the needs, decisions always have to be made. Whether or not you realize you're formally or informally making decisions, decisions are always made. As soon as you, you behave, you've made a decision. So to me, procedural justice and self-determination are primary because even if I wasn't involved in a decision-making process that came up with some rule that someone's trying to enforce on me or something like that, they made a decision. And I will instantly say in my mind, is that fair? the way they made that decision, was it fair? So to me, it's primary in people's idea in their own minds. Did I get involved in the right way? Was this decision-making process fair? Did it satisfy self-determination, procedural justice? And then they go down the list, competence. Um, yeah, so I would say that procedural justice and self-determination are primary when thinking about the design of institutions and people's reaction to rules and whether they're gonna follow them and internalize them. In terms of their own motivation to self-organize, I think all of them come into play. Mm. And I don't know yet if there's a primary order among them. I currently think there's probably not. Probably people come to it from different pathways. So one of the things that I'm doing right now is I'm working with a colleague on the idea of why polycentric 
governance networks look the way they do. And what I'm realizing is what brings them to the table, these different actors that negotiate or don't in order to create the, the, the structures that end up being. And I think what brings them to the table is concerns about equity. I'm getting unfair costs. You're getting unfair benefits. I'm not being uh, included in this decision-making process. I need to be. That, so if you come to that table, then you've already said, okay, I want shared decision-making. I want communication. I want uh, equal balance of costs and benefits. Let's design a system to do that. So it just kind of depends on the person's stance or that stance or the actor's position, I think. But ultimately, I think that all those needs are driving them. Thanks for tuning in. The In Common Podcast is a partner project of the International Association for the Study of the Commons and the International Journal of the Commons. To explore more episodes of the podcast, as well as our blog, visit our website at www.incommonpodcast.org. Here you will also find a list of the members of our recently expanded team, as well as a link to our Patreon page, where you can make a small donation to help us cover our operating costs. You can also follow us on Twitter at InCommonPod. Thanks again.